We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge apply. Ctmobile.com. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. WGR Sports Radio 550 presents. We got at Nate Geary Sports. And uh, Nate says, Merry Christmas to everyone except for Tom Brady who is probably watching his own documentary with his family this morning. Sports Talk Saturday. We were watching the highlights of last year's Super Bowl, which we won, but we weren't watching (laughs) the documentary. Does Nate actually play sports? Emotional damage on WGR. You good? Not little yes. He died of emotional damage. Sports Radio 550. All right, gang, good morning. Welcome into Sports Talk Saturday, our normal 11 a.m. local programming here on WGR Sports Radio 550. I'm Nate Geary. That is Zach Jones. We are hanging out with you for the next couple of hours, and I'm going to do the impossible task today of comparing this current Buffalo Bills team to the Golden State Warriors. So just be ready for absolute pandemonium. Uh, I'd love to hear from you. Your tweets are welcome. Your calls are welcome. 803-0551-888-552-550. Before um, I just dive right into that, I am going to quickly run down what we've got on the docket today for the rest of the show. We won't talk comparing Bills to the Golden State Warriors the entire day, although I probably could. Um, coming up at 11.30, Brian Koziel, of course, here of WGR, Tita Green. Uh, I believe there was a special two-hour Tita Green this morning, Zach. Am I correct on that? Only one hour today. That's a jip. It's, it's major time. Usually, uh, Brian and Kevin and, and Jeff, they're going two hours during a major. I'm going to have to talk to somebody about that. All right, well, at least we know I've got a refreshed Brian Koziel who's joining me at 11.30. We're going to talk a little bit about... Uh, the first two rounds of the U.S. Open preview, today's third round coverage, um, which got underway just before 10 a.m. this morning. Um, but if you're looking for it on television, uh, you can go over to Peacock. I believe it's streaming on Peacock till 2 o'clock. And then official round three coverage of the U.S. Open starts um, at 2 o'clock today. Uh, or I believe noon or 2 o'clock. It's one of those two. I believe two. it's noon, actually. I think, I think you might be right on the noon thing. Um, speaking of noon, Matt Perino, New York Upstate, joins us at noon. We're going to talk some Bill's OTAs, uh, get his thoughts on some uh, upcoming training camp battles he foresees after uh, watching pretty closely to minicamp over the last couple of weeks as um, off-season minicamps have ended. And the next time the Bills get together, it will be training camp at St. John Fisher College. The way... It feels like, you know, the the world is healing. The Bills are back at St. John Fisher College. It seems like we're officially back to normalcy. Um, Post-COVID world, of course, I mean. And then uh, 1230, Eric Eager of Pro Football Focus is going to join us 
And we're going to talk a little bit about year two quarterback breakout candidates. Is it going to be Justin Fields? Is Mac Jones poised to make a step with Matt Patricia as his offensive coordinator? Or is it going to be someone else? We'll talk to Eric at 1230. Jeff Lloyd joins the program from Locked on Browns. At 1 o'clock, we're going to talk about the Deshaun Watson contingency plans. Um, you know, as, uh, as rumor has it, the league will be pushing to suspend Deshaun Watson for, quote, a significant amount of time, people are assuming now it means a full calendar year. So we'll get we'll get uh, the ramifications of a potential full year suspension for Watson uh, and get his thoughts on uh, previewing the season. What's it going to be like for Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt? What's that, that backfield split going to look like? Is Donovan Peoples-Jones a number two receiver, a true number two receiver? Jeff's going to help us answer all those questions at 1 p.m. Before we get into all of that, though, and we, we get into the guest circuit today... I yesterday watching uh, Sports Center and watching like the highlights of the uh, of Game Five now or Game Six I should say Zach I assume you you got to watch all of Game Six or because you had to be here early you didn't get to watch the no whole thing. I I did watch all of Game Six I thought Golden State would win so I was like you know what we'll we'll deal with the ramifications tomorrow sure so uh, Jeremy myself Bulldog we were out at uh, at more room on Hurdle uh, doing some. Uh, some fundraising for our 100 Holes event, which happens this Thursday, the 23rd, by the way. Uh, if you'd still, uh, if you would be so kind and would like to donate to both, uh, either mine or Jeremy's causes, um, you could head to our Twitter pages. We both have uh, links to our donation pages. Any and all donations are greatly appreciated. Uh, but a side note, so we were there watching the game. Zach, did it get up to sixteen to two, Boston? Did, did I am I getting that right? I think it was. It was either it was for sure fourteen to two, but someone tried to convince me at one point it was sixteen. Yes, to two. it was sixteen to two at one point. Sixteen to two at one point, and then I looked back and it was twenty eight to twenty two, and I was like, wow, okay. And that was like the end of the first quarter, and then all of a sudden it was like forty nine twenty four, and I was like, holy cow, Golden State, like. <clears throat> And I said this early on in that game, and I said, well, it sort of feels like whoever wins this game is probably going to win the series. You know, even if that means Boston wins and has to go back to San Francisco, I feel like if Boston wins this game, they're going to win the series. Um, They just, Golden State, and frankly, Draymond Green, a guy that I know a lot of people uh, throughout the series, the Boston fan base, but ESPN, talking heads, everyone really wanted to bury Draymond Green for not you know, scoring 15 to 20 points per game, which has just never been his game. Um, but even he, I mean, he was very close to getting a triple-double in that game. He was huge for them defensively. I think I saw a stat that Jace, uh, uh, that that Jalen Brown shot less than 20% when he was covered uh, in man-to-man situations by Draymond Green. Um, You have Andrew Wiggins, who absolutely locked down Jason Tatum the entire series on top of really being, you know, short of Steph Curry, being the most important piece to this, to that championship run. So what I wanted to do is, and, and listen, I understand in comparing the Bills and the Warriors, the Bills do not have six championship appearances in the last eight years, so I... I get that, Um, and they don't have four championships, but I'm not comparing them to the dynasty portion of Golden State, but I did find, like, and I kept hearing Jeff Van Gundy say this during the broadcast, and I'm not sure I totally agree with it, but essentially, like, you know, this is the least talented team that Golden State has had uh, in, in their runs, and I mean, yeah, I mean, they don't have Kevin Durant, for sure, but Jordan Poole's a nice player. Andrew Wiggins, right now, is is a borderline max contract player? I mean, is he? Well, a, I think he's a max contract player. Well, he's definitely better than, you know, Harrison Barnes that they had during their first yes. run. So, I mean, yes. I don't know if I would say that. I Like, at all. Jordan Poole, 
Now, Looney's been around. He's been, he was there in the last run, but yeah. his game has evolved. But Poole's better than Sean Livingston, which is the role yep. he took up from the 2014 to like 2018 Warriors. Gary Payton Jr. is probably one of the best shutdown perimeter defenders mm-hmm. in the league. Um, then you go Otto Porter Jr., who is yep. a perfect, like, D and three kind of guy can sit around the three point line, can hit some three point shots for you, but also he can play big. He played five. He played oh, yeah. the center position a bunch in that series um, when asked to do it. So I'm thinking to myself, like, man, okay. I mean, they they've got some serious blue chip talent on that team, but they've also got a lot of good depth players. So I'm like, all right, let let's try to compare the starting lineup or or really just players on the Golden State Warriors to the Bills. And this exercise is not as easy as you might think. So, we're going to start with Steph Curry. Now, I think everyone would assume this is a very easy assignment. Steph Curry, right? It's probably Josh Allen. Yeah, one-to-one, him and Josh, yeah. But I started to think about this a little deeper. And I sort of feel like Stephon Diggs has the Steph Curry feel. But I'm going to go Steph Diggs with the Clay Thompson here. I'm going to go Steph Diggs, Clay Thompson, and I'm going to go Steph Curry to Josh Allen because Josh Allen is that MVP caliber. He's the guy that's going to put the team on his back. Um, he's the guy that's going to – essentially the offense runs through him. right? He's constantly touching the ball. He's constantly running the offense through him. Um, if he's not you know, dribble drive, he's step back three. Uh, or if in, in Josh Allen's case, if he's not – you know, dishing it out and, and spreading the wealth to his receivers and tight ends and running backs, he's tucking the ball himself and running. So there's a lot of similarities there between Steph Curry and Josh Allen. So right off the bat, Steph Curry, Josh Allen. And then I mentioned Clay Thompson and 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 Stephon Diggs. I think there, there's a good parallel there as well. The second splash brother. This is where everything starts to get really interesting. Jordan Poole is the next guy I want to talk about because Jordan Poole has all of the Gabriel Davis vibes. All of the Gabriel Davis vibes. Like all of them. Yeah, he does. He right, does. like you got you got the guy that's like the the mini the 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 mini splash brother um, who hasn't really been asked to carry a burden, but when he comes into the game, he can shoot from anywhere on the court. He is dynamic with the ball in his hands, um, and frankly, stepped up in a big way in Game Five of that series. Yep, um, and hit a couple of really big shots. He hit that. Half court shot at the end of the half that really pushed the he, momentum. Did he hit two in this series? Two half quarters? Yes, yeah. he did. Okay, he did. So um, those half quarters have a lot of Kansas City Chiefs mm-hmm. bombs vibes. Um, so Jordan Poole, Gabriel Davis, I think is a no brainer. Again, this is where things start to get really interesting because Draymond Green is the hardest one by far. I am interested to see who you go. It, oh, Trey White? No. Where did you go with this one? Ed Oliver. I. That's a good guess. This was really hard because Draymond does everything really well, except he doesn't score. And I'm trying to equate scoring to something in football. So I'm thinking, okay, this has got to be a defensive player for sure, right? But the intangibles, the leadership, um, a guy that is smaller for the position but dominates. It's Von Miller. Ooh. It's Von Miller. Future Hall of Famer, first ballot. People will try to say he's not. He is. First ballot, Hall of Famer. No one's questioning that. Um, so I think for me, Von Miller gets the Draymond Green vibe. And I don't know. It's Part of it's the personality. I had to try to pull the personality out because I don't think people hate Von Miller like they hate Draymond Green. No, I mean, Draymond is like you either love him he's or hit, you hate he him. He is hateable. Von Miller's always been like, I don't want to say like one of the good guys in the league, like, you know, like 
But no one's ever hated Von. No. Ever. There's really been no reason to hate Von Miller. Yeah, he's never even really been disrespected in terms no. of like how good he is. Rankings, as a except for the fact that Pro Football Focus, which I'm gonna ask Eric about when he comes on. Um Pro Football Focus had the top five AFC pass rushers and didn't include Von Miller. I saw that list. I saw the corner the, the cornerback did they come up with the cornerback list? They or, did. They that was JC Jackson number one. I think we've talked about it. You know how I feel about JC Jackson, which is the Chargers overpaid him. I but don't. I don't. I don't it. even like the Dolphins, and that is just massively disrespe- disrespectful to Xavier Howard. Absolutely, who's much better than JC Jackson. I mean, much better. Um, but I digress. Getting into like some of the role players here, this is where it got a little fun for me. So, I'm thinking to myself, who can I compare da- Dawson Knox to? This is not an easy one. Comparing Dawson Knox to this group, and ultimately, I think I I, I rested on. I'm still sort of debating. I was gonna say, I, like you're not really sold on on the pick you had. I like Otto Porter for this I, one. That's who I was gonna pick. You like, like we were talking, Otto Porter's a three and D guy. Yeah. Why? Or uh, Knox is not gonna have you know 70, 80 catches. No. But when he does, he, but he, he might has have a big game, seven, eight hundred yards and, and you know, eight, nine not, touchdowns. Right. Right. That's Otto Porter. Otto yeah. Porter, you know. Volume isn't yeah. there, but efficiency's there. Mm-hmm. He can take the top off the defense. And every uh, now and then, you'll have like a six for eight from three point yep. line game where you're like, "Where, where did that happen?" Si- why, talking why? about him getting bumped down and playing the five position, get, can guard other team centers at six foot eight or whatever he is. Um, you know, when you when you think about Dawson Knox at his position, I mean, he's a unique player at his position. He is not a prototypical tight end in the league, much like Otto Porter is. He's an undersized big. Um, like I think Dawson Knox is. So that's kind of where I landed with Otto Porter in that, um, thinking that, that that made the most sense for, for, for that comparison. Now come uh, came the part that I think became even more increasingly difficult, which is trying to figure out who Gary Payton Jr. was. I have no idea who you pick Gary Payton for. I love the story of Gary Payton. I do not know who you're picking. Taron Johnson. Ooh, best nickel corner in the game. Quietly. Quietly. That's a good pick. Physical. Yep. You know, I, the the tough part is Gary Payton like re- literally refuses to shoot the ball. No, he won't score. Refuses to if shoot he scores, the ball. it's because he's dunking. Yeah, right. Yeah, That's like it. but refuses refuses to. So this leads me to I think maybe the most interesting one. Andrew Wiggins. Who is the Bills? Andrew Wiggins. I mean, we're talking glue guy. We're talking arguably one of the most important pieces to the team. Jordan Poyer? I thought I, I I thought about Jordan Poyer. I think two years ago it would have been Cole Beasley easily. Not easy, right? No. It's you know, because even the glue guy, you could probably make the argument it's probably Josh as well. You could also go an offensive lineman here, Deion you Hawkins. You could. I'm gonna go Trey White. I like that. Because like that. you have a guy that I think in most circles isn't like believed like you're never you're not hearing a lot of people talk about Trey White as the best cover corner in football. We know how good he is, we know how invaluable he is to this defense, but the national landscape and the national conversation around Andrew Wiggins is that I think of Trey White where he just sort of flies under the radar. Um, and Andrew Wiggins, frankly, the beginning of his career did not go well. I mean, this was not a player in Minnesota that really seemed to be um 
like on the path to being a true number one overall pick, a guy that was going to yeah. transcend, and he no, just didn't. He he came with the incredibly lofty expectations of the new era LeBron. Yeah, you know he was considered. I think his name was literally you know Canadian LeBron. <laughs> so yes. he had the misfortune of going to Minnesota, who at the time was not a good organization. He was not initially the hardest worker. Where Tredavious White, I think they've got much more similarities as Wiggins' career has gone on. Wiggins was laughed at for being an All-Star yes. this year. Horribly laughed, laughed at. at. Where Tredavious White, while not laughed at, is like quietly an All-Pro corner. Quietly right. a Pro Bowl cornerback. Where like no one bats an eye at it, but no one goes, oh, that's that's super deserved. Sure. So I, I think that's where the similarities really come in is later in Wiggins' career where... Now all of a sudden it's like they're going to quietly, you know, Wiggins now, if he, I think he should stay in Golden State. Well, probably in his career with maybe three or four all-star appearances. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if he stays in Golden State, exactly. that's the question. Like is, can Golden State keep this core group? Can they keep Jordan Poole and Andrew Wiggins? I know. That's the thing though. If they make that choice, it's probably going to be Poole. Yeah. Poole, should, I think they probably really look at as, that's our, when, when Steph is, you know, 37 and kind of done clay, I think they're going to move on from probably sooner rather than later. The injuries have taken their tolls. Where for the Bills, Tredavious White, I mean, he already is a cornerstone of this team. He is that guy on the defense that they just, they cannot move on from. Do you think that Golden State should consider trading Clay Thompson this offseason? Yep, I do. I do. They won't. They, no. They won't, and they probably won't consider it, and it definitely won't be done. But I think if you're going to try to keep a core together, I think I'd want to keep Wiggins. Here's the thing, too. They still have Wiseman, 7-1 center. Well, and that's, and that's the, the number thing, one overall pick. I think most people thought going into this playoffs, what they needed was you know lengthy defense, which yep. is what Wiseman's going to give you. Right. The problem is, I mean, he's a 7-footer that does not shoot threes. No. That does not really fit Golden State's uh, blueprint. But I think if you do bring back a guy like Jordan Poole and you allow Wiseman to just play the traditional five role, that can really help. I did like your pool pick, by the way, with with Gabriel Davis. Both by fan bases as well are perceived to be far better than their stats indicate. I think a lot of yeah. Golden State fans would tell you Poole's probably a 24 to 25 point scorer if really given that If role. given the opportunity, yeah. And Gabe Davis, I mean, funny, we, I, I was talking on the nightcap earlier this week about Gabe Davis' expectations. He's finished the last two seasons with the same number of catches, 35. And he's finished around the same number of yards, same number of touchdowns. But most of us would say he's probably a bit better than that. Like he's been right. hidden on the bench or injuries or uh, the vaccine or well, yeah, COVID last year during the Patriots game. So I think a lot of people are expecting like him to have around a thousand yards this year. I think a lot of Golden State fans are yeah. expecting Poole to be around a twenty point scorer next year. And I don't think it's like a bad no. It's it's not bad expectations. I think some of them had to be tempered a little bit. That's why Gabriel Davis I think is such a good comp for him. Yeah, it's oh it's perfect. I think that's my favorite one you've had so far. Yeah. It's um, it was a very fun NBA Finals. I'm not gonna lie. And listen, you know, I this it was fun because I know a lot of people like hating Boston sports teams. I didn't feel the hatred towards Boston. It's most fine. most likable Boston team ever. Yeah, to me, it's it's them or the '04 Red Sox, the ones that kind of broke this the streak and yeah. you know the the Kurt Schilling game with the bloody sock. See, and but Kurt Schilling ruins it. He he's ruined it later on. Yeah, Kurt Schilling, but is at, at very the time. Unlikable. Yeah, at the time they were very, was it Kevin Pillar too? He was on that team, and he just said Kevin like, Pillar, no one... Johnny Damon, yep. um, Pedro Der- Martinez, Derek Lowe, yep. uh, Bronson Arroyo. Mm-hmm. Um, I am I am absolutely into trying to name the '04 Boston Red Sox. I was team. waiting for you to name like their whole Kevin Euclid. Oh yeah. Uh, who was the knuckleballer? Oh, who was the knuckle? Have we said David Ortiz yet? No, we haven't. Or yeah. Manny or Manny Ramirez. Yeah. We didn't even say the marquee guys. 
yeah, even wow. really just going into the. But I think I think this Boston Celtics team now. What's going to be interesting now is is the legacy of Jason Tatum and how he's viewed in Boston. They've adored him since he was you know and he's, he's only struggled. nineteen. And he had a bad finals. Yeah. He did not play well. No, he did not. So it is going to be interesting it to see how It could be a good motivating factor for him, though. Like, and, it and should. It, part of that is getting there and knowing what to expect. And when you're that young of a team and not getting to the finals and not knowing what to expect and not knowing um, how that, that part of the season gets ratcheted up so much, um, it'll be interesting to see how that team bounces back. I, I, I think they've got a great coach. I think they've got a really good young core. Can they get Robert Williams healthy and available next year because he's one of the best big men, um, young big men in all basketball. And can he find a you know more offensive game? It'll be interesting to see, um, at least for me, how everything works out for Boston going into next year. But again, I'm I never really felt like I hated Boston for whatever reason. I just I just like Golden State. I've rooted for Golden State, and even when they had Kevin Durant, they seem like super likable. I they, they just have seemed like to me. And I know now you, you now you're hearing Steph Curry and Clay Thompson, you know, bring out the receipts. People didn't believe in them, and that sort of is a little. I don't know it. You know, and people said Steph Curry isn't a good three point shooter. You know, like that. That's not a thing. Nobody says that. Yeah, no. But people really did bury this team. I mean, well, I mean, they were one of the worst basketball teams for the last two years. They buried him, but you know, Steph Curry. I mean, he's. Steph Curry's a top seven NFL or NBA player of all time. Well, I, I said it last night. I was on the uh, the nightcap last night, and I think this is one of the better redemption stories in the last twenty five years of sports because it really went from a team that everyone kind of liked when they were coming up. Yep. They, you know, they built it the quote unquote right way. They part of this everybody. too that nobody talks about. Steve Kerr missed a lot of time in that. Steve Kerr missed a ton of time. A ton of time. So I mean, you, you have that, but then they get Kevin Durant, and and they went from kind of the lovable, you know. Um, Steph Curry's name was the babyface assassin. Like yep. everyone thought they were like this cool team. They were changing the game of basketball. Some people hated him because they shot a ton of threes. Other people loved them. But they get Kevin Durant, and it became almost overnight. Unless you were a Warriors fan, you did not like Golden State. A lot of it is because people didn't like Kevin Durant. But also, in my personal opinion, they ruined basketball for three years. Yeah, yeah. But at the same time, like I, again, I never actually hated him during that era. I never hated no. him during the Durant era. I just didn't really want Durant to win a title. I, shouldn't really res- I didn't respect it. I didn't respect it. I but didn't I thought like it was it. fine. But so then Kevin Durant leaves, and then they're really bad. Yeah. They're terrible. Klay Thompson goes through a number of injuries. Right. Steph Curry's showing age and a lot of their bench from the Steph first Curry, run. By the way, Steph Curry should have won the MVP last year. Yes, he should have. He should have won he the should've. MVP he last was, year. He was by far the best player, and most people were furious that he couldn't be the eight seed. Even if he gets swept, it was just right. like... It would have been fun to see that that run he had went on. Yeah, he was unbelievable last season. But then they go on this run this year, and it's it, it immediately was like, oh, man, I actually miss the Warriors being really good. I, yeah. They're fun. And now they get to play a Boston team, which everyone except the city of Boston right. wants to see lose. And they do it. And, it. and it almost became this thing of, like, then everyone wanted to see Steph Curry win that finals MVP, the the elusive All award that he hasn't had. All the vibes happen. Exactly. And... and I don't. Toronto was up there for me, and Cleveland is up there for me. Is like championships. Everyone went. The good guy won. Yeah, I don't know about Cleveland. Um, eight oh three oh five fifty. City of Cleveland. LeBron, no. City of Cleveland. Yeah, yes. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Let's go to Dave in Lockport, who is joining the program. Dave, you're on Sports Talk Saturday. Welcome. Thanks for calling. Hey, thanks for taking the call. I was heard earlier. I just turned in, and they you had brought up that Van Gundy had mentioned that. This is the least talented team, and I agree. I think the two KD championships is just obvious. Sure. I mean, they were unbeatable. 
Um, and I think this year you have to take into account um, Clay's injuries. He was half he was the first year, and people seem to forget that Iguodala won the MVP, whether some people agree Good with point. it or not. What he did to the competition back then, which was above and beyond what the competition was this year with LeBron and the Cavs, he, he didn't shut down LeBron, but that may be the greatest coaching move of all time. Uh, inserting him in the <clears throat> starting five, you know, to help shut down LeBron. I kind of forget about that run. I was actually, uh, it would have been that series. Thanks for the call, Dave. I actually went to that final series. I went to the last game that LeBron would have played at, at Quicken Loans. Uh, game. Would that have been game? Game two. Oh, yeah, it would have been game two, yes. They got swept. Mm-hmm. Game two in Cleveland, uh, I went to, and. I agree that Andre Iguodala points a good one. Like, that was not necessarily prime Iguodala, but it was, like, resurgence. He, uh, like, re- was reborn on that team. Uh, was inserted in the And Dave makes another good point, too, about the, the magic of Steve Kerr. And Steve Kerr is a big reason this, this franchise is where they are. Um, amazing to me that the New York Knicks screwed that up. I mean, they screwed a number of things up. It's okay. They, they, got, that, Derek, they got Derek Fisher. It's that fine. allowed Golden they got, State they got to Derek, happen. They got Derek Fisher. It's fine. I just uh, where where does Steve Kerr wind up on your Mount Rushmore of, of NBA coaches? For me, he's he's clearly in the top four. After that, it kind of is like you know pick your poison. Is it Phil Jackson? So is, you're putting him above Phil Jackson? No, I, I I'm saying like those guys are like in the top four. Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's Phil, Kerr, Phil, um, Pat Popovich, Riley. and Pat Riley. I think those are probably my four. Well, uh, who was the Boston coach for a long time? I I always just know Red Arbach. He's the owner, yeah. but I don't really know any of their coaches. Do you want to count Bill Russell as a coach? You can count Bill Russell as a coach, absolutely. But yep. I don't know that. I mean, he, I don't he know was if, coaching himself. So Yeah, I don't know if – because, I mean, all four of those guys, though, transcended the game. They they really and truly were changing the game as they went. Steve Kerr had the gall and the wherewithal to take something, three-point shooting, that was sort of a niche thing, himself being a three-point shooter, Steph's dad being that six-man, just come off the bench, shoot a three, and he decided, no, we're going to make our entire offense around trying to cripple teams by taking a ton of threes and making them. I'm just looking through. I I would think that he is probably, yeah, Popovich. Don Nelson's up there, too, though. Don but, Nelson's up but there. But he just had longevity. Yeah, I, yeah. It's, I don't want to look at longevity. It's more like the guys that like that changed and transcended the game. I think. Right. It's like Don Nelson has a Frank Gore vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Like exactly. Yeah. Frank Gore is going to be a weird one in the next few years when he gets in the Hall of Fame and everyone's going to be like, should he though? Right. Just because he played forever. Yeah. I think we had a discussion a few weeks ago of like, who would you take in their primes, Lashawn McCoy or Frank Gore? Oh my God. No. And question. It, it was LaShawn no McCoy. question to anybody. It was Lashawn McCoy. And Lashawn McCoy is borderline Hall of Famer. He he just came into the wrong era. Yeah, there's going to sure. be so few running backs that get in the hall. Of Fame. I yep. think Derrick Henry's going to be the last one for a long time. Yeah, and even then, you're going to look at his stats and go, "Man, he only had about four great years, five great." And years. And you're also going to think about man like Christian McCaffrey. What could have been if he could have just been healthy? What could have been there? Alvin Kamara, if he was a little bit more in a run centric offense along with his pass catching. He's never had a thousand yard rushing season. That's crazy. Something that is just mind boggling to me. That's crazy. And he's always one of the top fantasy running backs. I just traded for him in a fantasy league. Back. Good for you. Good All right. 803 I've got Brian Koziel joining us next on the Western Hotline. We're going to talk about the U.S. Open gets underway here uh, on TV in about a half hour at noon Eastern.
Eastern. So uh, we'll preview that uh, round three coverage uh, with Brian Koza. That's coming up next here on WGR. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one... They're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Love it. Little U.S. Open music to uh, introduce our first guest of the morning and into the afternoon. We've got Brian Koziel, host of Tea to Green. You can hear every Saturday morning from 7 a.m. to 8 a.m. And this morning, no different, previewing the U.S. Open round three coverage uh, on TV anyways, beginning at noon. And Brian, welcome, my friend. Uh, happy U.S. Open weekend to you. Thank you. You as well. It's been a great first two rounds. Let's hope the second two live up to uh, the billing of what we've seen so far. Yeah, and you know, if you are a casual golf brand uh fan, Brian, there is a lot of names still on this leaderboard, but yesterday and after round 1 in particular, where you've got to really hit the Google machine and start googling guys' names because I mean, you've got a a group of players um still as again as it stands there's some amateurs inside the top 20 um at one under like this has been a unique start to a tournament. Uh, of course, you've got the you've got the names at the top, the Morikawas, the Rams, and McElroys. But outside of that, there's not a ton of really well known, you know, guys that are always seemingly at the top at the top of this leaderboard. Yeah, I think that's what's unique about the U.S. Open and what you'll see at the Open Championship a month from now is that it truly is an Open. I mean, Nate, I know you and I are working on our games all the time to try to get better. At some point, if we got really good, we could play in, in this. Now, you have to go through a whole bunch of stuff. But the, the dream that anybody has of playing in an event like this, if you get good enough, you technically could. You need a 1.4 handicap, and then you can go through the qualifying rounds. And some of these guys that you mentioned that are there, sprinkled in between all these major champions like Morikawa and Rahm and McElroy and Scheffler, are these names that we're learning about this week that made it through the qualifiers. Even Adam Hadwin, who had played PGA Tour for years from Canada, he had to go through the qualifying stages. He did not 
get exempt to get in through some of the specifications. He was the first-round leader. He actually didn't qualify. He was an alternate. He missed a putt on the last hole of qualifying, and then Paul Casey withdrew, so he got in. Uh, David Lingworth, a guy who played a lot of time, has played uh, European events, some PGA Tour events in his time. He's actually a big hockey guy and a Sabres guy. He's wore a Sabres cap on his Corn Ferry Tour events. He qualifies awesome. and get in. Some of these, yeah, some of these other names that you've never heard of going into the week, MJ Duffy, who, you know, fell down a little bit. Uh, these are guys that went through qualifying. So uh, some people might not like it because it's not a recognizable name, but I think the stories are great. There absolutely are. One of the best stories this morning, I was watching the Golf Channel, Brian, and Stuart Hagstead, who, uh, who made the cut. He was one of the first tee times out this morning. Isn't even a full-time player. He still has amateur status. He is a financial advisor, and he qualified. He won a qualifier to get in the U.S. Open and made the cut. I mean, that is just as cool as it gets, Brian. That And that is probably – that tells you the most about this tournament is it really – you win some qualifying tournaments, and you can find yourself playing on – frankly, the hardest golf courses in the world. And that's the best thing about the U.S. Open. And the Country Club is no different, Brian. I mean, this course is aesthetically very beautiful. There's a lot of slope. Um, and, and, and the greens aren't, I would say, overly fast. They're not the fastest greens these guys are going to play this year. But that doesn't mean they aren't tricky as hell. I've been really, really impressed from all the guys that have played this weekend of how they've been able to putt on these greens um, yes, they're slick in terms of the speed. Like you said, they're not maybe at Augusta National speed, but the amount of break that you see them playing and how they're converting, I think has been real impressive. One point that I heard on the telecast yesterday that I thought was totally spot on is you're seeing a lot of long putts made, but it's coming from below the hole. Mm. The guys that are putting from above the hole where it's a little more dicier, and you have to be much more conservative with it, that's obviously where they're having issues, where you're seeing the ball just continue to run out, and you're like, holy cow, this thing just keeps rolling and rolling and rolling. So placement on the green, really, really important this week at the U.S. Open. No surprise to me that even though he's officially one behind, I think Roy McIlroy's played the best yeah. out of the first two days. He had that really tough third hole yesterday where he had three whacks out of the high fescue, but he's number one in strokes gained putting, so he's putting well, and he's tied for one in greens and regulation. And that means I'm staying out of trouble yep. and I'm making putts. And if you can do that at the U.S. Open, you've always got a chance to win. 100%. And Joel Damon's another name that people probably should familiarize themselves with, Brian. He's a guy that, you know, in both of my, my U.S. Open pools was a guy that I chose, mostly because, Brian, he seems like a player – and, and in this same thought process, I think about guys that play their best golf in the toughest conditions. And I'm thinking Shane Lowry. You know, I'm thinking Cam Smith. They're, these are guys that play the best when the best is required. And Damon's a name that is starting to pop up in my mind when I think of that type of golfer. And he's such a, you know, another one of those stories. A guy that's made the PGA Tour, then got himself off the tour, like trying to work himself back and forth. Um, you know, and some of these events, remember, like you, some some of these guys play a PGA Tour event, and then they might not be eligible though to play in a major. Some of these guys might be able to play in a major, even though they might not be regular tour status, because maybe they finished like top ten in the U.S. Open last year, and that got them exempt into this year. So, I think that's why you're seeing 
guys that maybe you haven't heard of or guys that kind of like, oh, I remember him. Where did he come from? Like, you know, all these different qualifications to get in. But uh, Damon is a guy that, he, you know, he calls himself a grinder. Like, and that's what you have to do at the U.S. Open. Making par is a good score. I think what's really good about going into this weekend, Nate, the volume and quantity of golfers that are within striking distance here, um, 23 golfers are within four shots of the lead. That's the most ever at a U.S. Open since 1996. That means, like, you know, there's you can make an argument for 20-some guys that they have right. a chance to win here. Right. Now, obviously, I like more than others, but, man, they leaderboard is jammed, and that shows also in the cut. You're oh, plus for sure. four. You're <laughs> yeah. plus four. You mean you shot 72-72 at a U.S. Open. That is damn good golf. And you're only nine shots behind through two rounds. That's something that can definitely be made up on a PGA Tour event over two rounds. You're not even playing the weekend right. with a plus score, uh, a plus four score. So that just shows how many golfers are so tightly bunched up near the top of the board. Yeah, one golfer that I thought really, really struggled this week. He missed the cut, Phil Mickelson. Obviously, a lot has been made of Phil this week. He was sort of the center of attention, which I think was pretty predictable. I think he probably prepared to be the center of attention at this event with his recent move to the Live Golf League. But, I mean, on the course, it was a real struggle, and particularly in round two, it was a hard watch, Brian. I mean, he really struggled. He only had two birdies, one of which was kind of a, a miracle putt that was from off the green that he, that he jarred for birdie. But Phil really struggled out there on that, uh, on that course. I wonder if the Live Tour guys were done a little disservice in the sense that obviously last week was an extremely stressful, emotional week for them. The taxiing interviews... Then, of course, their first event, which you know I would guess they were excited about. They wouldn't have made the jump if they weren't thinking that this tour is great. Um, and then you've got to play three days and then fly from London over to Boston to get in. And now, all of a sudden, you're going to play the biggest grind in golf. Like, yeah. That might have been a, very taxing on these guys physically and mentally. And we, because Mickelson is one of the faces of that live tour, you know he's carrying extra weight. He was the first major press conference on Monday yep. uh, at U.S. Open, and obviously he played terrible. For, you can't spray it all over the place, and he knows it, and he did it, and then he wasn't good on the greens either. So, I mean, that's a one-two punch combination of see you later, you're done after the first two rounds. And I, I guess the USGA has to be a little happy. As yeah. far as I know, there wasn't any major like issues on the course with fans going after him or some of the faces of the Live Golf Tour. So I think they've got to be happy. In any other year, they would be rooting for Mickelson to make a run to win it because it would be the biggest story of the U.S. Open, right. him finally getting his Open. This year, him going away quietly on the weekend, I'm sure they were quite happy with. Brian Koziel here on the Western Hotline. We're talking U.S. Open. And uh, I wanted to, quickly before I let you go, talk about Colin Morikawa, who finds himself at the top of this leaderboard tied with Joel Damon, someone we just spoke about. I, this must be one of the quietest two-round top-of-leaderboard uh, performances I've heard from Morikawa. And it feels like, Brian, it's probably because he's not really playing his best golf right now, but he's grinding it out. Again, you, you mentioned in, on this course, in this tournament, that grinding out 
about, you know, uh, getting up and downs, getting sand saves, keeping par um, becomes a premium in this tournament and maybe no more than it will today when the winds are supposed to be gusting towards 20 and 25 miles per hour. You've really got to be able to trust your shot. And you like watching Golf Channel this morning. That's the one area Colin's really struggling right now. He's got a draw playing in his shot right now, and it's not a natural movement of the ball for him. So when you aren't trusting your swing and you're not trusting your ball flights, Brian, when you add the element of wind, uh, what does that do for a tour pro, especially a guy like Colin Morikawa, who's won a U.S. Open, who has major victories in a position like he is at the top of the leaderboard? Yeah, when I heard that, I was super surprised. Like, he naturally, as you said, he plays like a fade or a cut shot, and now he's hitting draws, which is why I was surprised to see him being where he's at here. But, I mean, this guy, when he gets in a groove, he might be the most consistent tour when he's... So, accurate, 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 back and forth the whole time. So, um, for him, he's about as calm and cool as any young player I've ever seen. So... The pressure, I'm sure he's fine with it. Um, will he get swinged out when he needs to count on it? But for a pro, as you said, you know, a, a five-yard difference in wind can make a whole bunch of difference in terms because they're that accurate with it. So I think it'll be a challenge for everybody. How bad is that wind today? And do the guys that play later in the day when the wind could it shift, could it calm down, will they have an advantage? That's what happened yesterday afternoon to those late guys that played, they were able to take advantage of the winds calming down a little. All right, so uh, I, I have the feeling I know who your who your kind of pick is through two days. You've got the information at your disposal. You know who's at the top of this leaderboard. You mentioned how deep, how many guys are within striking distance of the leader at this point. Who do you like to finish this tournament off on Sunday and holding up that trophy? If you're making me pick one, and there's a ton of big names there, it's still McElroy. I think... I mean, he should be in the solo lead. If he gets a better lie on that third hole yesterday and he doesn't have to take three whacks out of the fescue, he's in the solo lead. I think right now, for as, you know, as tough as it might be, he's carrying the face of the PGA Tour. He's the voice of the PGA Tour. He's got his strut back going. He's been very accurate. The green's in regulation, and his putter's been on fire. So, I mean, there's Scheffler, there's Markawa, there's Rom. Kepka made a run yesterday. We know JT's not out of it. Uh, Shoffley's looking for his first major. Sam Burns has had a great yeah. year. He's in contention. And then, of course, you got all these guys that left there. If I'm picking one, it's it's Rory, my rooting interest, just because of what he's stood for over the last two weeks. I'm rooting hard for him to get it done. One name, Brian, I'm going to throw in the mix here that I think could potentially find himself in a really good position to win this tournament, Matt Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick has his uh, uh, amateur U.S. Open win at that course. I played there last year, Brian. His name is all over that clubhouse. He is a mainstay at, at Brookline at the Country Club. That's a name that I have in a bunch of my pools, and I probably wouldn't sleep on Matt Fitzpatrick if you, uh, if you are, are looking for some, uh, some, some, some real-time betting going into the, into the fourth round. That's a name I'd really keep an eye on. Comfort at a course that doesn't usually give anybody comfort. That's a nice thing to have on his side, obviously, winning there before. He should have a win already on the PGA Tour. Yeah. He's had trouble closing, so we'll see how that plays out if he's in contention going in on Sunday. But definitely, you know, with his U.S. Amateur win at this course, we know he knows it well. We know he loves being there. He's very comfortable. So, uh, yes, uh, he should have won already. 
I'd be strongly apt to maybe pick him if he had won already, but sure. I'm still waiting for him to get over the hump here in a big spot. All right, Brian, enjoy the rest of the tournament U.S. Open this weekend. Enjoy some. I think you got some soccer today, so enjoy that as well, and we'll, uh, we'll chat soon. We'll get out soon. Skirsky's been, been getting at me to get us all out, so we'll, uh, we'll get around in here before uh, training camp starts. Sounds great. Thanks, Nate. All right, Brian Koziel there, host of Tea to Green. Of course, he's our Sabres intermission pregame and postgame show host as well here on WGR uh, on the Western Hotline. I'm going to take a timeout. On the other side, I'll get you a preview of Hour 2 coming your way. We've got Matt Perino, Eric Eager, a great Hour 2 of football coming your way here on WGR. See, I do this thing. Every time you play this bump, I always think it's another song. Because, like, I'll have my headphones next to, like... So the beginning sounds like the song, which I'm not sure if you'd be familiar, but Sledgehammer. Oh, yeah, I know Sledgehammer. Yep. Like, it, that has all of the beginning vibes of Sledgehammer. So, like, if you want to, you could find Sledgehammer and you could play it as, as the next bump, and I wouldn't be that mad. Just just between friends, you know. Um Consider it. I'll, I'll send you. I'll even send you the one that I, that, that I need you to play as the beginning. Matt Perino, New York Upstate, is going to join us coming up next here at noon. We're going to talk about Bill's OTA, some of the things that stood out to him this week, what it looked like to see James Cook and Von Miller in Bill's jerseys for the first time. We're going to talk to Matt Perino, get a cap on Bill's OTAs in minicamp as we had. We are officially like one month from Bill, Buffalo Bill's training camp, a month and a couple of days. So we'll get his thoughts on how the offseason training program went, what he's looking forward to most heading into training camp and uh, and all that good stuff. So we've got Matt Perino, New York Upstate, and then 1230 Eric Eager of PFF. He's going to join us as well. So we've got a busy 12 o'clock hour talking football. That's coming up next year on WGR. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.